Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from 7SistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm Sabrina, and today I am interviewing a special guest who just happens to also be my special daughter, Rebecca Group. So um, welcome, Becca, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We also have my granddaughter, Sloane, who is just three (laughs) weeks old. And so if you hear little snuffly noises or little squeaky noises or hysterical screaming or, you know, anything, that's just Sloane making her presence known. Exactly. (laughs) So um, Becca is number two of the kids that I homeschooled from kindergarten through high school graduation. And um, for those of you who don't know this, I am the mom in a blended family of seven, and three of our kids were traditional schooled and Catholic schooled all the way through, and then four were homeschooled, K through 12. So we had quite the uh, hodgepodge in our family background, and Becca went on from being homeschooled to then enrolling in a large secular university and she became a teacher and became a second grade teacher in the Baltimore County public school system. So she has experienced both lots of homeschooling and lots of traditional schooling and uh, is now doing that whole teacher gig in a public school classroom. So we want to kind of pick her brain today about Now that she is a professional teacher, and now that she has work experience in the public school sector, what are her thoughts as she looks back on homeschooling? What were the things that worked well there? What were the things that were shaky or lacking altogether? Um, What did she learn about how to be a teacher when she was in college preparing? And then what did she learn about how to be a teacher in the classroom? that now we can sort of, in retrospect, figure out ways to apply to homeschooling. So here we go. Let's see. Um, So Beck, let's first just talk about what do you remember about homeschooling? Positive, negative, in between, just your overall sense. Um, I think it was a good fit for me overall. I mean, I... I'm def- I definitely think I could have done well in a public school setting. I'm a pretty social person. Um, I'm ambitious. I have lots of different things I was involved in. But luckily, the particular branch of homeschooling that we were a part of allowed me to kind of have a lot of friends and um, be involved in a lot of different things. So, you know, I could not only pursue, you know, my academics, but I could also do stuff with music, which was really important to me. Mm. Um, I had time to have a part-time job and be flexible with the hours there, which was wonderful. Um, And I was able to um, also do things outside of school, like hang with friends and things like that around kind of different hours than a regular school day, which was nice. So um, the flexibility with homeschooling was a huge positive thing for me, I think. Um, I also just liked the independence that I kind of learn to foster over time with my learning. I think when you're in charge of your own schedule and, you know, a teacher or a mom isn't always like watching you, you know, when you do school, um, to make sure you're, you're doing everything you're supposed to do. What's nice about that is you kind of, 
either either fly or fail but I mean <laughs> um, for me anyway it definitely helped me to see like I can really be independent on my own without having to have someone watch me and that's been a huge life skill that's followed me into college that followed me into my career where I definitely find that I take ownership of things um, that even without being asked to because I know I can do them and I I find pride in being so independent and uh, being able to work on my own so uh, yeah flexibility and independence for sure awesome yeah, one of the things that we talk about all the time on the podcast is there's not one right way to mm-hmm. homeschool. Yeah. And I like what you said about you had the chance to either fly or fail because teens taking some ownership of their education through high school is um, it's an important thing to try. And for some people with personalities like yours, where you tended to be very organized and very disciplined and dare I say driven yeah I love it um, <laughs> it worked well and you flew with that and there there are some kids who have to experience some failure yeah with that and that sometimes is the key to them learning to fly sometimes right. you gotta let them crash and right. burn a little bit right absolutely all right so you went off to college you went to Towson University mm-hmm. um, in Maryland and it's a big school and it's an education school right, right. yes So how did you make that decision to go into elementary ed? Um, Tell us a little bit about your college majors and your experience there. Uh, What's funny is I actually didn't really think about teaching early on. I wanted to go into um, animal science and potentially pursue either um, veterinary work or working in a zoo or something like that. But I think I started to change my mind when I began assisting uh, my choir director and either playing piano or, um, directing some songs with them. And I realized I really liked being up. That was, that was during high school. school. Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. realized I really liked being in kind of that leadership position with people. Um, and that kind of then led me towards elementary education. Um, so, uh, the tra- choice to go to Towson and pursue elementary education was not my first choice, but it ended up being what I think it was the best choice for me, ultimately. Right. Okay, so you had a double major. Yes. You were elementary ed. And um, deaf studies, not death. <laughs> deaf as in uh, <laughs> not being able to hear. Uh, so I also um, learned American Sign Language and did an internship at a college that has a program for um, international deaf students, and I worked there for a semester. So, yes, quite a broad spectrum. And the ultimate goal was to work in a school for the deaf. Um, unfortunately, near the last uh, year of college, uh, when I had the chance to work in a school for the deaf, um, it was not what I expected. And I realized this was not going to be a good fit for me long term. It's a very stressful environment. Um, And I didn't think I would be a good fit for that kind of lifestyle um, for my career. So I decided to just go and apply to uh, public schools in Baltimore County after graduation. Very good. And again, I love that word fit because that is that is key. When you're trying to figure out what you're going to do after high school graduation, you're going on limited information. You have things that you're interested right. in, things right. that you've learned about, right. but you haven't done them yet. And sometimes when you actually then are 
doing it, you look around and say, yeah, this is not actually what I was right. wired for. Right. And it's it's not just a matter of, oh, this is hard. It's There's more to it than whether this right. is going to be hard or easy. And I know myself well enough to know I, I could have handled some of those things. I could have handled vet school. I could have handled um, working in a school with, with deaf children, but I ultimately realized it was not what was going to bring me the most joy and the most satisfaction out of my career. So picking something that was not only something I can do, but something that um, would satisfy like my own personal needs is important. Excellent. All right. So you... Um you had all these education courses in college. You had lots of Mm -hmm. learning how to design lesson plans. You learned about classroom management. You learned about learning styles. You learned about testing and evaluation, um, special needs. What were some of the things when you were studying the education piece, the actual like how to be a teacher stuff that was was a part of um, your college career? What were some of the things that maybe gave you aha moments or made you roll your eyes or made you just look back at your homeschooled student experience and think, huh, if we had known that, or I'm glad we didn't do it that way, or I wish we had, were there any of those education moments that were like light bulbs for you? Well, they always talk about um, things like UDL, which is universal design learning was a big thing uh, when I was studying as well as like basically, uh, you know, um, differentiation. So basically looking at a kid, even if it's just one kid and figuring out what do they need and then how do I meet that need? And what's funny is I remember sitting in all these classes and going like, well, this is literally what homeschooling is. This is, <laughs> this is what my kid needs. My, you know, he doesn't need trigonometry, but he really does need to do some kind of hands-on labor. Like that's literally what differentiation is. And it was funny just sitting in so many of these classes. Yeah. Hello, hey. Sloan. <laughs> and realizing like, yeah, this is this is a good thing I come from. And it was helpful going into teaching that and knowing like differentiation, differentiation and, and, you know, universal design learning and stuff were essentially easier because I already had that mindset about kids and about teaching and learning. Very good. So how about um, lesson planning? There are a lot high school, that they're not going to know how to create lesson plans that are going to be effective. Now, you talked earlier about there being a lot of independent learning for you through yeah. high school, and you saw with your with your siblings that there was a mix of that with all of them. They were probably less independent learners than you were in a lot of subjects, so we did group classes and co-ops, we did some day school, um, we did a, a lot of different approaches. but. What did you learn about lesson planning that would be helpful for homeschool moms? I think there's always like a format to lessons. So one of the big things I learned was keep it quick. If you can't summarize what you're teaching in three sentences or less, it's too much for one lesson. Um, It's got to be really simple with a very clear objective. Um, So anytime I'm teaching a lesson, you know, if we're learning in phonics that day, we're learning the short A sound, you know, our objective is, and I tell this to the kids at the beginning, during the middle, and then at the end to remind them what we're learning. Like today we're learning about short A, which makes the sound ah, ah, ah. Um, And that's the objective. And so you come back to that over and over again. And I think regardless of age, um, you know, 
elementary, middle school, or high school, there has to be a very clear and simple objective for that lesson today. That makes so much sense. I mean, honestly, that that applies to how we blog at sevensistershomeschool.com. Our blog posts have a title that is very, very simple and specific, saying this is what this post is going to help you understand. And then partway through, we say, so you see how this is what we're talking about? And at the end, we say, so what we were trying to share was this. And what are your thoughts? But yeah, it's our brains are wired for that, aren't they? Exactly. And it's difficult because you think, oh, I could talk about this and it connects to this and that connects to this. And it's good to make those connections for kids because, it, you know, all the... Uh, the connections in your brain help you to remember things. But then I also have to check myself sometimes because I have much more mature connections and stronger things in my brain that their brains are not ready for yet. So I have to be careful to not kind of go on any tangents that are going to distract too much from the ultimate objective. Um, I think having a good engagement for the lesson too. So making a real life connection right off the bat for a lesson plan is really important. Um, you know, so for, if, for example, again with the short a thing if we're working on that skill that day i might have the kids put a pile of things in the center of the carpet and have them sit around it and all the things in the carpet have a short a in them you know the short a might be at the beginning of the word like apple or like in the word cat and i might have a little stuffed cat or something so to make it tactile which is also good for those kiddos but having some kind of hands-on engagement is really important which again homeschooling is really good about a lot of times because everything is done in our home so we can go grab what we need to make it um those real world connections Excellent. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not quite sure what she's talking about with tactile or kinesthetic, there was recently um, on the Seven Sisters Homeschool Facebook page, look in the videos, and there is a video about um, learning styles and making good use of them even into high school. And if you're not really familiar with the whole what works well for a visual learner, what works well for an auditory learner, what is tactile, what is kinesthetic, those, those things, you can get more information there on the Facebook page. Um, and additionally, making those real world connections, that is a big piece of what we do with literature analysis at sevensistershomeschool.com in our literature guides. And you can find um, a Facebook live video on our Facebook page about teaching literature analysis. And one of the things that I talk about there is how helpful it is before I even introduce a book to a class of teenagers to um, hit on whatever the theme is that we're going to focus on, to just have a conversation with them about that theme in the real world. And so to talk to them about, you know, when you're hanging out with your friends, isn't there always that one person who seems to be watching and observing everything and they don't enter in very much, but they're separate and get them thinking about, oh, yeah, I know somebody like that or I'm like that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when we launch into the book, okay, now watch this character. This character is going to narrate the story. They're that, that one who's not really involved in it. They're kind of a sep separate character. They're outside a little bit and they're observing. And at what points do you think that that makes them a better observer? And at what points are they missing the point altogether because they're not engaging? You know, that's a very specific example. But that idea of starting students with something that already is very meaningful to them and then taking it into a lesson. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's talk about evaluation. Um, a lot of homeschool moms worry about 
how much should they test? When should they test? How should they test? Mm -hmm. And this is even a separate question from taking part in um, nationally accepted standardized testing, which most families do at various points along the way, maybe at third grade, fifth grade, somewhere in middle school, PSATs, SATs, ACTs, as they get to the end. But um, it's easy to say, okay, you need to take a math test to see whether or not you get the problems correct, and there's an answer key. But there's there's a lot of a discomfort, I guess, with how much testing and what what does testing really provide for you? How, how does that help the teacher? So what do you think about evaluation and testing? So this is tricky. I, I understand why we need it. Um, of course, the, in public schools, one of the main things that you're going to hear teachers complain about is there is so much testing. All I do is test. I don't get to teach. And unfortunately, that is true. I mean, from quick assessments, which you do at the end of every single thing you teach that day, um, to, you know, long range testing once we finished a unit um, in math or reading, taking a test. Um, sometimes there's online tests as well as paper tests. And then you have the national tests that we take every year. Um, it's just, it's constant. However, there is a point where it's like you do have to assess where your kids are in their learning progression, where they are compared to their peers. Um, So I think the best and most important piece of testing that I have learned that helped me a lot as a teacher was doing little mini assessments. And the way that I, I worked these into lesson planning and teaching was at the end of pretty much any lesson or any lesson progression. So if a lesson took two or three days doing it then, but asking it should only usually be just one question for the kids. And usually it's even an ABCD or write it down on a whiteboard or something um, where if they can either get it right or they get it wrong. And if they get it wrong, then you know, okay, they're not ready to move on yet. We need to go back and look at this in a new way. And if they get it right, you move forward. Um, Pre-assessment also, I... I'm always reluctant to do because I'm like, we just finished a unit and now before I teach this new unit, I've got to give another test to the kids to see what they already know. Okay, wait, just explain a little bit for people who are unfamiliar with the vocab. So pre-assessment is what exactly? So it's an assessment you give before you teach a new unit and it has questions all about what's going to be coming up. So if it's a unit about... um, I guess, nonfiction text, if it's a reading unit. Um, All the questions in there are going to be about nonfiction text features and things like that. Um, So the kids don't actually know most of the material, but what you're looking for is what kids do because if i already have two or three kids that who's you know maybe their parents have already taught them about this um they might already know all about nonfiction text features so it might be good for them to give them something else to do while i teach the rest of the class this thing um so it can be helpful especially for big groups of kids um interesting though because if you're if you're talking to a homeschool mom who's doing one-on-one instruction with her kid I think what I'm hearing you say is that even as a professional state certified teacher, if a kid already knows something, they don't necessarily just have to go through all the motions of learning it again. Yeah. No, and they shouldn't have to. Yeah. That's scary for, I I know um, we hear this all the time from moms who just aren't trusting their gut on this one. Mm -hmm. They say, "How, how much of this do we have to do to earn the credit? 
Right. And we say, well, okay, typically we say uh, about three quarters of a standard textbook, if you're using a textbook, or 16 real world titles. There's all these different ways to, to evaluate and, and to decide how you're earning your credit. But buried in that and interwoven through all of that is this piece that if you come to something and your kid just gets it, or they already got they it. need to be there. Uh-huh. You don't need to beat it to death. Exactly. Because that's just going to kill the learning, throw off the momentum, and frustrate your student. Yep. That's exactly what we see is I can tell I have a few of my super smart or um, super hardworking kids who just pick up things quickly. And you can see them checking out mentally during the lesson. And I'm like, I wish I could just give them something else to do. And so in my teaching, I've started doing that where they have, a, you know, some options of things that they can work on while I'm teaching the rest of the class and they can work just independently. And that doesn't work well for super young kids. I think it is good to go over things over and over again. But once they start to reach that level of independence and you can see that they can handle that, send them off. I mean, give them something else to do that they could work on that is more challenging and a better, again, a better fit for them. Excellent. So if you're homeschooling teenagers and you have them enrolled in some day school classes or you're in a co-op and they are with several other students in the same class, um, that's an important conversation to have with your teen is to say, you know, if you if you reach a point where you feel like dude, like I've known this for three years and the teacher is spelling it all out that, that there needs to be um, some character development there and some maturity building there to how do I handle myself in that situation? Um, if, if I just mentally check out, that's not good. And it's also sending an, an unpleasant message to the rest of the room, whether I mean to or not. Right. But if I do already know this, then how can I focus myself differently and perhaps focus on your peers, focus on interaction and, and um, encouraging others who are learning something for the first time. Or, But that's these are life skills that our teens are going to use in all sorts of social situations going forward, as well as academic situations. Yeah. And sometimes we have to tell the kids and sometimes I'll have very honest conversations with my students and I'll just pull those, you know, three, four, five aside and say, I know you know this. I want you to review this just in case. And then, you know, kind of starting to like what you're talking about, kind of building that character piece of things of acknowledging that I know what's going on. I know you already get this, but I also think it's important for you to be part of our, our classroom family right now. And usually, I mean, even young kids as young as six or seven, they get that they can most of them can respect that and so again like you're saying i think it's great for character development excellent all right um so in retrospect if you had a time machine and you could go back to let's do early childhood ed first because the classroom that you have been teaching in is full of six and seven and eight-year-olds um so let's let's look back at that piece first. And by the way, if you have a teenager who is interested in possibly being an elementary school teacher or a um, daycare or nursery school um, employee or even just pursuing um, early childhood education in various organic environments, Sunday schools, babysitting, whatever, check out. Vicki Tillman has a piece of curriculum. It's a high school elective called Early Childhood Education. And it is written for students who are thinking they might want to consider pursuing this in college. So, um, yeah, that's there. Shameless plug. It's, it's a <laughs> lovely piece of curriculum by Seven Sister Vicki Tillman. Okay, so let's go back in our time machine to when you were in second grade and then your younger brothers were in second grade coming up behind you. Right. right. What, 
what do you think of that, wow, it would have been good if we had done more of this or if we had tried that? Or what are things that you think were really good about the early years that that even now as a teacher, you're thinking, that, that was just good learning? Yeah. I mean, I think there's not really a lot of negative stuff I think of because our homeschool experience was extremely hands-on. And I was one of those kids... I'm obviously a very type A person, as are a lot of teachers. And so, you know, you giving me a math workbook for me, that was that was great. I loved that. And then doing more hands-on stuff with science and art um, was fantastic. And then learning to read. I mean, I think you recognized early on, like, I was not going to be taught how to read. I just, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, ironic because I, I did teach phonics to kids. I actually did not learn about how to teach phonics or learn phonics, uh, you know, reading the phonics way until college because I was a holistic, you know, learner basically. So I just memorized words and the way they looked and that's the word you say. Um, but I mean, I look at that and I think I, even as young as then, I was allowed to kind of choose what I wanted to do. And we found what worked for me and I was allowed to pursue that. So it was a really positive experience. And it's difficult when you have a class of 27 kids and you're trying to do that for every single student, you know, let them pick the approach to learning. Um But it, I would try and do it in little ways. So I knew if I had a whole bunch of reluctant readers, particularly boys, um, even putting out like during, after they finished, you know, whatever it is they're supposed to be working on for the day, then they have a choice of what they could do. So they could, um, I would put out sometimes like comic books and things that would help them pursue those things, those interests. Um, but it would also be reading still. So I, I think I, I loved the, the being able to choose, um, as young as, you know, six, seven, eight about what I could do with my learning. And then that's definitely helped me then later in life um, as a teacher. Good. Yeah. And a lot of people like to use the phrase delight directed learning when they're talking about homeschooling, that when your kid gets interested in something, you don't get so rigidly attached to your lesson plans that you say, well, we we can't do any more with that because it's time to move on, you know, but if our kid is fascinated and they're learning, give them some time and space to lean into that and to play with it and to, to learn some more beyond what we had on the lesson plan page. Exactly. I think those are the best learning moments. I mean, I can even remember this past spring we were doing some it was some kind of unfortunately it was kind of a boring text we had to read uh for for a reading lesson and it was all about um the day in the night sky and one of my kids asked a question about like basically the connection between the sun the moon and the earth and I was like well hang on I have like some like bouncy balls in here so let's just act this out and so for like 30 minutes I had different kids take turns being the earth being the moon being the sun and they got to walk around and spin in different ways um and was it about what we were learning no not exactly but it connected and for them that was what they took home that day and that's what made them connect to what we were learning so I think those teachable moments are definitely important yeah awesome okay so final question now we're in our time machine we're only going back to high school and um, we are going to go back to your high school experience knowing that you're going to go to a large um, public university and that you're going to end up studying um, education and then work in the public school system so what 
do you wish you had maybe done differently or I had done differently for you um, to prepare you for that? What were the ways that you felt well prepared when you went to the university and what were things that were hard for you? It's difficult to say for sure because I am someone who likes the academic setting and I feel like I really flourished in the academic settings that we had through um, Mount Sophia. Um, So I don't know that there was necessarily anything I would do differently. The one piece of it that for me was, I mean, and I think this would be a lot of, a a big thing for a lot of kids is just kind of the culture shock of being in going from a school that has a few hundred kids to going to a school that has thousands and thousands of people and then trying to figure out how to make like your voice heard in a classroom setting when it you know I feel like our teachers knew us so intimately with homeschooling especially when it's like your friend's mom is teaching the class or even your mom is teaching the class and now it goes to this stranger who you don't know anything about besides their name and so just kind of learning to make connections with professors um I think even just having some conversations and dialogue about how to do that would have been helpful for me um Mm. I think I would have felt more comfortable talking to to adults basically um with maybe like just a little more prep for that piece of things is you know when you think you get an unfair grade which I happened once like what do you do about it um right how do you have a conversation with someone who you don't know and who you know you haven't spent the night at you know with their with their son or son or daughter you know and and so you have that close bond with them it's like I don't know this person so I think just making my voice heard and being felt like I matter um, to, you know, the people on this giant college campus, because um, it is, it is a culture shock, that switch. Yeah, it's it's funny, Seven Sister Vicky likes to um, tell her when she when she coaches graduating seniors, um, and she, she often tells them, just go to your professor's office hour, whether you have any questions or any trouble with the class mm-hmm. or not just go because that way you and the professor have now had a moment where in a small intimate setting you have looked into each other's eyes and said hello and chatted for a couple of moments and it makes all the difference when three weeks later in the semester something does come up exactly and that kind of stuff is not intuitive when like you said you've had sleepovers at your teacher's house because your teacher is your friend's mom and you know homeschooling and community is great yeah and it gets us beyond just mom or dad as teacher exactly but it's still very friendly and we all know one another and you don't have to advocate for yourself in the same way in right. a homeschool community. Right. And it does help. I mean, I, I still remember that advice from, from uh, Mrs. T, too. Um, and I can also remember senior year, I had um, a family emergency going on. And I did have to tell her, I need to keep my phone on me at my internship. And here's why. And you know, suddenly they become human and they're like, oh yeah, of course. Like, you know, so having those conversations, but of course that took me until senior year to feel comfortable enough to approach somebody and ask that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go to your, go to your professor's office hours. That's a great piece of advice. That's great stuff. Okay. Well, thank you for taking the time to share your experience looking back and your experience in the classroom now when you're the teacher Mm -hmm. and, um, I hope that this is an encouragement to people who are listening, to our seventh sisters 
who don't always trust their gut and feel like, what if I'm doing it wrong? Because um, something that I think we heard from Becca throughout this whole conversation is that there's so many different ways to do it right. There's so many things to try and professional teachers come at it the same way. They're looking at the situation and saying, what should I try here? What, what seems like maybe it's not working and so I'm gonna tweak it. There's not some perfect cookie cutter formula that guarantees that every child will learn the material you are hoping that they will learn. Because we're all individuals and we do things differently and um, our children are probably learning a whole lot more when we recognize those needs for differences and for moments to lean in and moments to step away. And um, yeah, you're probably doing a much better job than you think you are, homeschool mom. So don't be hard on yourself. So um, Becca, thank you very much for the time and for sharing your thoughts. And for those of you who don't know, Becca is also married to seven sister Marilyn's son, Casey, who is also a homeschool graduate and then a college graduate from a public university and is now um, enrolled in the police academy in Baltimore City. So there's lots of different kinds of learning experiences for mm-hmm. Becca's husband. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of, his, one of Casey's recent classes apparently involved um, getting pepper sprayed and tased yeah. and, and uh, uh, tear gas. Yeah, gassed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So these are not things that we recommend including in your homeschool science curriculum. Let no. them wait until they decide to enroll in the police academy. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Becca. Thank you, Sloan, for being so well-behaved oh, and yes. quiet Good while girl. we were interviewing today. <laughs> and we encourage you to tune into future episodes of the Homeschool High School Podcast from 7SistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.